Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who are actually under the illusion that woodworking is cool. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. What's up, baby? It's uh, it's the weekend Ooh, show. Yeah, and uh, you guys asked for it, and now you're gonna get it. So it's actually uh, Wood Talk recorded on a Wednesday. Just on a Wednesday. Us. Yeah, don't confuse people. Stop. <laughs> Let's create the illusion. It's the weekend. It's Friday. Everyone's it actually. Right. I'm not going right into work tomorrow. I'm just gonna tell my boss. Well, I recorded the weekend show, so <laughs> clearly it's Monday. the weekend. Uh, but it is actually still episode 332. And folks who are wondering what the heck this is, we um, had a Patreon level goal that if we reached a certain level, we would start doing the weekend show. And in the past, the weekend show was kind of a catch-all for just random questions. We would do a single topic and really hash that out. And we gave it some thought and we decided that we are going to do like, we, we, you know, we're woodworkers. It's hard for us to not talk about woodworking that will always sort of infect the theme of anything we, we discuss, but we will be going a little bit off topic here. And I'm going to say that ahead of time. So if you do not like that kind of stuff, then you might just want to ignore the weekend show when it ro- uh, rolls around each week. Bottom line Keep is... Keep that in mind. Yes. Yeah. Sh- you, you guys in. You guys may want to not listen <laughs> when you do your little, your I'm vanity out. listen. I'm out. See ya. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the way I look at it is we already do, you know, roughly 52 shows a year about woodworking. If we're going to do 104 shows a year about woodworking, I don't like, I love woodworking guys. I mean, I think the three of us do love woodworking, but there's only so much I want to like talk about like ad nauseum. So while I'd love to do like audio versions of articles, which is what a lot of people ask for, like go in depth into this thing. Talk about like, I'd like to do that. And we will probably do that once in a while. It's so much easier as three people with other responsibilities and things to try to fit this show into our schedule. It's so much easier if we actually talk about, you know, some other things that we're passionate about. And maybe a small percentage of the audience might be also passionate about. And my hope is that a large majority of the audience would at least be interested in hearing some of the stuff we're going to talk about. So I don't know, maybe it's off the mark, but we've got to make it realistic and fun for us as well. And hopefully that fun will be infectious and you'll enjoy the conversation one way or the other. Uh, It's going to be a lot less formal and we're just going to kind of shoot ideas back and forth. So let's stop talking about it and let's actually do it. What do you say, guys? Do it. What Shannon uh, fell asleep. It's it's sad, it's Saturday for Shannon, so he's asleep. Now. <laughs> you, just, you just told me I could leave. Yeah, so I, yeah. All right, get out of here, Shannon. We don't need you here. All right, so we're going to kick this off with a topic that is near and dear to our hearts. It's something that we think about quite a bit because you know we love tools, right? And as people who produce content, there are tools for that as well that we geek out on. And I think part of what makes a woodworking podcaster or a woodworking content producer makes them tick is their love for not just the craft, but the love for conveying that information and the gear that allows us to do those things. Right. So I know we've had off, you know, sort of conversations offline about what cameras we use, what lighting we use, and just kind of batting ideas back and forth. So I think that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to talk a little bit about camcorders and DSLR cameras, like what we use and why we think one might be better than the other. And frankly, I, I can never keep track with like what you guys use. So maybe maybe we'll start there and talk about each of our setups. And also, of course, if we have any resources to share with you guys that this might be useful to you. Bottom line is a lot of people are actually documenting their woodworking these days. It's hard to find folks who are doing any kind of content at all, even audio podcasts, who aren't also doing something in terms of like YouTube videos. Right. So uh, I'll go first. I actually recently well, just... And it's not like we haven't been asked this like 20 times. That's either. true. Yeah. I mean, this is stuff that, that people are curious about for sure. 
Uh, all right. So my setup right now is a camcorder. I am 100% in the camcorder camp, if you will, and have been for years now. And uh, I've got a Sony something Z150 and it is a 4K. <laughs> yeah, something Z150. That's very specific. Something, something, something. Sounds and, uh, fast. It is very fast. The Z, the Z always makes it quicker. And uh, uh, this thing is a beast. It's absolutely great. It's 4K. I don't really use the 4K at this point. I'm just shooting in 1080p, but it's there should I need it or want it at some point for like archival footage or whatever. Uh, but it's a great camera. Um, so what are you guys using? Uh, Shannon, you go first. Um, a lot, actually. Um, I Almost all of my stuff is based around a multicam setup now, um, which is kind of like, uh, um, what do they say, jack of all trades, master of none, because uh, none <laughs> of my cameras are really all that impressive. Every time I think about it's time to update and upgrade and go with like a, a really, really nice camera, yeah. something usually breaks. <laughs> like the car has to be repaired or like a new, I a new computer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, new HVAC. So it, it's, I'm still running my Canon Vixia. What is it? HFS 100. Um, it's a great camera. Um, it was kind of the, the marquee of the prosumer line that Canon had for a while, which doesn't really exist anymore. Yeah. Um, I think the, the modern day amalgam is the G series, G twenties, G thirties or something like that. Okay. Um, Really good camera, you know, fully automatic, but also fully manual if need be and and really small. But it is definitely camcorder. And then everything else, I've got uh, I've got two GoPros running in the shop and I actually use my iPhone camera pretty substantially. Really? Um, yeah, just I've got one of those uh, tripod attachment things for it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the camera is just so awesome on it. Good wide angle. And the, the camera itself is is small. The phone itself is small. So you can like drop it right on the bench, like right off the end of, of a board you're working on and get a really good wide angle shot. That's just from a, from an optics perspective is just outstanding. Yeah. And you know, I just drop all the clips from all the various cameras into the editor and go to town. Nice. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, we'll circle back a little bit later to, you know, specific type <laughs> cameras outside of just the regular ones. Cause I'm interested in more, more discussion on the GoPro stuff. Um, what are you using these days, Matt? Uh, primarily I have a camcorder, Sony CX 900. Um, that's what I use for like pretty much everything, but I've also got a older, um, smaller handy cam, uh, CX 160 that I use for like secondary shots. If I need it, I've got my 70, my Canon 70 DSLR. If I need that, I've got a couple of action cams and I have my, uh, iPhone that I use for some stuff here and there, but that's like, Mixing in some shots here and there, but primarily it's all on the uh, the Sony camcorder. Okay, for me the 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 iPhone thing is just like when I think of it, it, it really solves problems. Like during this move, I didn't I didn't want to really film everything and then and just kind of fast forward like me taking down ductwork and stuff. So what I did was I set the the camera up and did a time lapse on my iPhone. And I did that in two, two different situations, and I'm like, man, this is perfect. You know, I should probably do this more because I do use my GoPro. But it's so much easier to just get the stuff on the iPhone and then drag and drop it out of photos and pull it into uh, into the timeline. So I, I should probably start to think about that a little bit more because it does take a pretty darn good picture uh, overall. Yeah, yeah the, the speed adjustments, the frame rate adjustment um, can do some really cool stuff with it. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, I know Apple has said that's their next like they, they said we've we've replaced the point and click point and shoot camera. And now we're going after the camcorder market. Right. And it's a pretty powerful camera. And and you're right. You kind of forget about it, yeah. you know, because we've got all these other 
fancy things and tripods and all kinds of stuff. And it's like, oh yeah, there's this phone in my pocket. Right. You know, I think the key with, with the multicam setup is that you've just got one camera that's pulling a good audio source though. Cause the audio on all those other stuff just sucks. It's well, terrible. Well, so that, GoPro that, audio is terrible. Yeah. That would be definitely <laughs> one of the things that would be a compelling argument for camcorders. And now all three of us, it's clear that our primary footage is shot on camcorders. If you poll around YouTube, you probably would find a lot of people leaning toward DSLRs, which I always find mm-hmm. interesting because I feel like it's maybe that's trying to think, is it just the desire for the shallow depth of field look in some videos that gives it that artsy look? Is that why most <laughs> YouTubers are going for DSLRs? Because when you're looking, especially for woodworkers and, and people crafting things and makers, it to me, the DSLR is just a lot more work. And if you're producing yeah. content, especially, you know, you crazy nutballs who do it on a weekly basis, uh, <laughs> the more time you're messing with things like focus and a camera rig or a, a microphone rig or something that, you know, all this stuff requires batteries, that setup gets a little bit cumbersome. So I'm always surprised at how many of these people are using DSLRs. So, I mean, do, you know, do you have any insight? The, do you guys the, know why that is? I think there's the a quality. lot of people. Yeah. I mean, no question. Stellar. Huge right? sensor, right? Yeah. Great low light quality. Um, I think shallow depth of field is something that has more recently become the artsy fartsy type thing. But I think most people went to it because it just had such an enormous sensor that brought in so much light. Plus, like go to YouTube. You know, if you're producing YouTube videos and you want to learn how to shoot them, what do you do? You go to YouTube and you look. Yeah. And the DSLR movement is huge because for the other stuff, the non woodworking stuff, especially in like the marketing space and the B2B space and everything where it's a lot of talking head against a backdrop of like single point light. DSLR is awesome. You know, set the shot, set the focus, step in front of it and go. And, and so you go and you, and you, you dig around for how to videos on YouTube and everybody's going DSLR. Um, you know, the change of interchangeable lenses makes you can do a lot of extra stuff and, you know, those indie films being shot on it now and it all makes it look really, really cool. Yeah. But usually the people that say it's really, really cool are the people working behind the camera. <laughs> right. Not not the single guy in a shop having to go, okay, I've got to focus on something. Now you're creating like, you know, stand up dummy versions of yourself to focus on. Yeah. So because you're behind the camera focusing. And yeah, I realize there's autofocus lenses, there's remote control lenses and stuff, but it's all additional stuff you got to get. Yeah, it can be really, really expensive. Now, just to backtrack a little bit, don't want to assume anybody necessarily knows all of the the terminology here. So when we're talking about that shallow depth of field, basically, if you ever see those shots, they tend to just look more film-like in a way. They almost, uh, just the the artsy is kind of the only phrase I can think about or descriptor where the thing in the foreground is in focus, but everything else in the background is really, really soft, you know, kind of like a portrait style image in video. And that tends to look really cool. But my problem with that is it's like when you're doing instructional content, one of the pieces of feedback I always get from people is how much they enjoy looking at the background, you know, and looking at like what's, what's done in my shop, you know, and and things that then then, who cares what I'm talking about. They want to see what's behind me. It's kind of hard to do that. It it actually is a little bit upsetting sometimes. You (laughs) get comments. So like, well, tell me about that thing on the wall in the back. It's like, were you even listening to what I was saying? Eyes up here, boys, eyes up here. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So, I mean, as much as it can be very cool and, and here's the thing, some people are shooting in a style. I think that, uh, lends itself well to shallow depth of field. They are going for more of that, 
hey, I want I want this to you know do well on Instagram in a one minute video. You know, so having that sort of visual impact is is really cool. But if you're actually doing you know more talky instructional content, I just feel like having everything in focus is probably the strongest thing to do. Well, and the thing that I like about the shallow depth of field is the dynamic aspect of it, the ability to pull the focus and change it. So you think about like Hollywood, you know, and you've got a close up of a person's face and like the the other actors maybe over their shoulder and, you know, the, it's focused on the person in the foreground talking and then the person behind them talks and the focus pulls to the yeah, background. It looks really cool. You know, it, so it actually drives your attention to that other thing. It's the movement of that focus, I think, that makes depth of field, shallow depth of field so cool which just doesn't work when I'm but all by it's, myself. It's totally <laughs> impractical. Yeah. For, for a one man shop, it's totally impractical. Uh, right, the, you know, right. so the camcorder is going to offer you this more, uh, everything in focus at all times. You can usually leave it in autofocus. If it's doing something where it's jumping and trying to grab focus from different things, cause you're moving crap in front of the, uh, or you're moving your hands or getting a close up shot of you chiseling something. You could have it grab the background uh, instead of the that's foreground. The worst. And when you, when you rotate the chisel and it catches the light in such a way that yeah. suddenly the camera goes, Ooh, shiny object. And it focuses on that. Right. And everything else goes out. Yeah. I usually set the focus and then hit manual. Right. Like I let the auto do all the hard work and then put it on manual and maybe fine tune it a little mess with the exposure and then leave it. Yeah. Cause uh, my camera's constantly jumping around trying to be quote helpful. <laughs> right. With its auto. Please stop. Please stop helping me. <laughs> uh, all right. So that's one thing is the focus. Um, we're sort of touching on another one here and that's a lot of the automatic settings. Uh, one of the great things about DSLRs is the fact that they, uh, are very easily adjustable in, well, I won't say easy. Some are a little di- more difficult to understand than others for, you know, a novice, let's say. But uh, automatic settings and being able to pop it into manual and change things, you know, so uh, to just to, to really perfect your picture, like iris adjustments and, uh, you know, aperture and exposure and all those things. Um, you got to know what you're doing to make that very useful. But generally speaking, your average camcorder, cheap camcorder, I guess, or, or, you know, maybe even mid-level camcorder may not have as good settings for manual. And a lot of times, you know, you dig into this stuff deep, you need that stuff. So I'm curious, Matt, do you, with your camcorder, do you go into manual modes to be able to sort of compete with what DSLRs can do? I almost never shoot in automatic. Okay. Ever. Because I'm in a control space in my shop, I can set the the exposure, the gain, and the iris all manually, and it stays the same in that area. So I don't have it hunting for, like, suddenly, oh, it got a little darker because I wore something dark in the frame for a second, and now the the exposure drops. No, it's always going to be the same. And that was the same when I was shooting with the DSLR. That was all manual as well, Mm -hmm. except with that, it was manual focus as well. Um, Now I just use the automatic focus on the camera. And when I was looking for that camcorder, one of the reviews, or one like the... um, I guess the disadvantages of that camera was everyone's like, it sucks because it has a slow autofocus. I'm like, yes, that way if I like quickly run my hand through the frame, yeah. moving a chisel around, it's not going to go it's start actually going to work so, in your, in your favor. I'm like this is a pro for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We do have needs that are a little bit different than, than what other people who are shooting specific types of content have. Um, so Shannon, you, you go with manual most of the time. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, on the, on the camcorder, I, I can't really do that on the uh, GoPros. Right. Of course. But, uh, yeah. It, you know, going in and cause I'm kind of, I don't know. <laughs> I think, I think because I'm like all hand tooly, I, I try to like get a little bit more of a, um, I don't know what the word is like a rustic type 
image where I, I, I do play with the lights a lot. Um, my version of shallow depth of field is shutting off all the lights behind me, you know, and having a darker background just using and light having to, kind of, yeah, you know, it's not out of, it's in focus. It's just dark, you know, so it looks out of focus. We use the same so, exact technique for every picture in hybrid woodworking. And we did it with lights on and without. <laughs> nice, yeah. So basically we turned the, they decided that the best look was turning the shop lights off and then keeping my light boxes focused on the content. So everything else, while it wasn't right. necessarily blurry, it was definitely not something that you would focus on and keeps the the eyes on the foreground. Yeah. And that, and that's exactly what I do. So I do find myself having to play with the uh, manual settings a little bit and make sure that I've got the exposure, right? Um, I also have I've discovered lately that I've got to be, very cautious of reflective surfaces too. Yeah. Um, and like Matt was saying earlier, if you wear something dark and you walk into the frame and suddenly it starts adjusting exposure. And I just found I, I, I can't rely uh, on the auto settings because it, it's, it's too dang helpful. Yeah. You know, you yeah. gotta, you gotta set it manually and dial in everything and then, then go to your shot. Yeah. Well, things like lights and metal reflections, these are things that, and also if uh, you do template work, there's a lot of times where I'll take pieces of paper and I'll have them out on the assembly table. And as soon as you put the paper, yeah, white paper just makes everything just go dark gray. So uh, yeah, going in the manual, adjusting the iris, locking it in place so that it doesn't dim is, you know, definitely helps the video, but you're going to have some areas that are a little bit blown out, you know, sort of, uh, just too much white, too much color. Um, that just makes it super bright, but those are sacrificial in a way. Like if your light bulb in the ceiling is, you can't make out the detail because it's so overexposed, who cares? (laughs) You're supposed to be looking at the, the, the things that, you know, you're focused on below. Uh, so, okay. But go ahead. That brings up another point that I've really struggled with, with my camcorder is Mm -hmm. the narrow angle that it has. And I did buy a, a separate wide angle lens for it. But, um, like I said, this camera is pretty old, uh, it's taken more than a few diggers um, onto the concrete floor <laughs> to the point where the the little threaded ring that's right outside the lens that the uh, lens adapters screw onto, that is now loose so that if you put a lens on it, there's too much weight and it actually like tilts <laughs> off the front. Oh, no. <laughs> So and, and then comes into the view. So now like, oh, it's wide angle, but I can see the top of the uh, the, <laughs> the lens because the sensors, you know, fixed inside the camera body and the lens housing is like drooping. So I can't use that anymore, which in my tiny little shop gets to be really difficult. And especially because I have such low ceilings. And if I have the fluorescent banks in frame, they screw everything up. You know, like mm-hmm. you were saying, if you actually point the the camera at a at a bare bulb, it's going to screw up all the exposure and everything. So I'm constantly having to fight with that, which is why I started bringing GoPros and action cams into the shop because they've got such a huge field of view. Um, yeah, and, they're ridiculous you know, sometimes. Yeah, they're, they're, they're really ridiculous with that field of view. Sometimes I try to get yeah. a close up shot of something, and I, I'm physically as close as I'm comfortable with it. And I still get so much of this extra stuff that I actually don't want in the shot. Which is why I found that now, even though my Canon camcorder is pulling the master audio, because it's got the external audios um, in and the good lab mics and everything on that, that generally also has a huge optical zoom on it. It's got a a 30 or 40 times optical zoom. Um, So that's like mounted across the shop, like 20 feet away pulling the good audio and zoomed in super tight on the action. And the GoPros are actually framing the wide angle shot now because you're right. You can set it in like narrow, narrow frame of view and 
it still is so wide. Yeah. So it's like, you know, you got to put the GoPro like an inch from the work in order to get a good tight shot. And that just never works. And you so. guys make me feel lazy. Like I have other cameras and small <laughs> cameras and things that I could well, use. Like, I so- mean, we were going to come out and say it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, true. you guys have like multiple <laughs> cameras going at all times. I'm like, F that. Like I've got <laughs> a camera. I will focus. I'll, I'll even go back and reshoot something to get a second round of closer shots. But I, I just can't bring myself to constantly run multiple cameras. And we're doing multiple videos a week. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. <laughs> but the thing is, is it actually, once you get the workflow down, see, I'm, I'm in Premiere Pro and we're probably not going to go down there, um, down that route as far as editors and things. Can you do multicam edits in Final Cut Pro? I'm sure you can. I just don't. <laughs> like right. even if I have a multi- <laughs> sure that must. I mean, I think yeah. Premiere and Final Cut are probably almost exactly the same. Yeah, there's a, yeah has, it's something the industry needs. I can't imagine why you know why right. it wouldn't do it. But once you get that workflow down, it actually ends up speeding things up for me. Like I feel like I've gone more Roy Underhill in my shooting, like single shot type things. Like I mm-hmm. just did a, a shop update that was a work uh, workshop tour. It was all one shot. It was a nine minute long shot, but I had four cameras. Um, and the cool thing about the action cams and the iPhone is, you know, the worst is when you've got like camera set up at multiple angles and you can see the camera, like the other camera yeah. is in the shot because right. you're shooting across. Yep. Well, the action cams are so small that, yeah, if you look for it, you can see it, but it's really not noticeable. And it allowed me to do like a total walkthrough of my shop, catching all the little nooks and crannies and corners in one long shot. Which was just oh, really cool. Without you having to stop to reset, you can kind of just do yeah. all one one single thought. Yeah. So then That's the message cool. is a lot more organic because I'm just having a conversation, you know? Right. And what's sweet is like when you turn, like I was talking about my sliding leg vice. Well, I had a camera set up on a tight angle shot on the sliding leg vice. So I was like, well, you know, this is a vice and it slides and I slide it up and down. You got a tight shot on that. And it ends up being, I think, a much more interesting presentation like sit down and watch a TV show sometimes and look at the number of camera angles in like 30 seconds. It's ridiculous. Well, it's enough that, to make you puke sometimes. It's actually, yes. I think the the trend <laughs> in most modern television shows and especially things like reality TV and stuff like that, or even if you watch like a cooking show or like right. on the food network or HGTV and you're watching one of those shows, it's like, my God, sit still for like five damn seconds. You know what I mean? Like they jump yeah. so much. I think the pendulum has swung way too far in, in in that direction when it comes to jump cuts like that. I blame Michael Bay. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of lens flares, things like that. Right. Action so fast you can't even see what's going yeah. on. Well, yeah. that's another thing, man. Don't get me started on that. I can't stand <laughs> action fighting sequences in movies anymore. And even like Marvel movies are, are terrible about this stuff. Like, my God, like where's where's the actual skill for these, these actors to learn some of these moves? Like they don't have to do anything. You just get a tight shot of them looking like they may have done something. Uh, all right. So anyway, well, I mean, that's my entire principle. I don't have yeah. to actually do anything. Just lots of tight shots and flipping the See, camera. But that's on. still, that you're doing like more than I'm doing. I just, one camera, man, one camera. All right. So another, uh, DSLR versus camcorder thing, it, it deals with audio. And frankly, before I bought this camera, the, the Sony that I'm running now, I actually did buy um, a decent uh, DSLR. And I'm like, you know what? I, I want to get more into this. I want to learn more about it. I want to learn more about manual settings. And let me go down this DSLR path and see where it ends up. 
Well, in order to get that done, and one of the, the sort of traditional downfalls of the DSLR when it comes to this sort of instructional content is the audio. So a lot of times getting good quality audio directly into the camera isn't an option. So a lot of people will have a secondary audio recorder that they capture the audio and then have to sync that up with the video. That's stupid. Like, I, I feel bad for anybody who has to do that. That just sounds like talk, you know, I'm saying multi-camera is a lot of work. Jeez, recording your audio separately for doing this on a, on a weekly basis, that's nuts. That's a horrible thing to have to do in your workflow, but some people have to do it. Um, so I started to come up with like, you have to get this little converter to take the XLR input from the microphone and get that into the camera. So it is recording directly and it's you know already synced up. But then in the reviews, somebody's like, oh, this thing creates buzz and you hear this little hum in the audio. So I, by the time I had all this equipment added up with the camera, the whole rig was convoluted. You know, it looked ridiculous. There's all these different attachments, all these things that take battery and I'm trying to get AC adapters for everything. Now the rig is not quite as mobile as it should be. And I just was like, this, this is not going to work for me. Like compare this to one single camera. You know, I guess you would call it like a prosumer camera because it's got XLR inputs already attached to it. Um, how does this DSLR even come close to the the convenience and the quality that I'm going to get overall with this camcorder? So sound wise, what are you guys doing? I mean, you both have the camcorders and I'm assuming you've got a direct line into your recording device. Yeah, correct. XLR input onto the Canon uh, into a lav mic, a wireless lav. Okay. All right. And out to a wireless lav, I should say. Okay. What do you, I just have that mic jack, whatever that is, three and a half millimeter. Oh yeah. The the little tiny guy. Yeah. Like the eighth inch size, whatever. Um, all right. And that one actually, you know, that quality for, for like web video, I think you'd be hard pressed to tell the difference between one that has, you know, a standard mic jack like that versus, you know, like a more professional XLR input. Well, Um, I used to use the, um, like a wired mic and you could mm -hmm. hear the, you could hear the the hiss and the noise and that I actually had to scrub that, um, with the Sennheiser mic I have now, there's no noise. Okay. All right. Yeah. I used to get a interference once in a while on, an old in, in the old shop, I had a Sennheiser wireless that for some reason, I don't know why, whether it was just metal in the shop or whatever, uh, I would turn certain ways just once in a while. And it's only something I would catch like way, way after the, the footage was, was filmed and I'm editing. And it sounds like, you know, old, like cordless phone technology where sometimes you would turn and it would go, you hear that, <laughs> that sort of, and you would never, you would never, there's no way to prevent it. You would just find it later and just hope that it didn't happen while I was talking. Uh, so I, I quickly went from that to a, a, a Sony. I don't know what the exact number is, but uh, it's like a five or $600 um, setup for a wireless lavalier. And that thing is rock solid. Uh, works really well. Yeah. Good, the good wires lav mics are not cheap. My, my Sennheiser one was like $600, but Oh my God. It's so nice to have a, to be wireless and not be tethered to your camera. Yeah. And we with, probably have the same model, Matt, I think, cause that's, mm-hmm. I can't remember. I just remember going, wow, this is expensive. This hurts, but I got to do it. You know? Yes. Yeah. I had exactly the same thought. Yeah. I, I think there was the cheapest wireless mic from Sennheiser. It was like 600, whatever that one is. Yeah. Well, and you get a good, good microphone and good placement with that lavalier. It almost sounds, you know, like, um, you know, like what I'm doing here, you know, with, with the sort of studio style microphone, it, it's got so much mm-hmm. more depth to the voice and more punch to it. Uh, yeah, you know, placement's so a good one too because I didn't even think of that for a while until I like I got the the wireless lav mic and I was like the sensitivity is pretty strong on this. Mm-hmm. But what I realized is for the longest time I had just clipped it up on my 
my collar. Yeah. And what I didn't realize it was getting so much like resonance from my throat. <laughs> yeah. So you get a lot of so, like, like deeper um, vibration. My voice was really deep and almost more muffled because it was picking up the vibrations from my throat. So putting it down on my shirt further kind of got that, that throat vibe getting kind of out of there. Plus, cause I, have a, I have a deep voice. I have a lot of resonance going on here in well, this you, general area. I was going to say, you do have a very sexy, manly voice. That, Hello. Yeah, so that is, sonorous. Yeah. I mean, you make that deeper by putting it on your throat and it's just out of control. Um, so here's the thing. A lot of people have suggested when we're talking about convenience features, a lot of people are like, well, you should just use a a shotgun mic. And I have tried that. And I always Mm. find that the quality level, because I can't, I don't have a sound guy holding a boom arm over my head uh, and I'm moving around that it's got a little bit more of a dynamic shot, but it's a one man situation. There's no way a shotgun mic can compete with the sound quality of, of a lavalier mic. And and, and I think the closer you can get the mic to you to the person speaking the better it's going to be yeah you know that's where that that boom is nice i've heard rave reviews about a road um shotgun mic and i think it starts at 900 bucks yeah so it's like okay yeah it's probably sounds really good (laughs) but you know no i try my case i know that exact one it's it's one that's like a they consider it like a workhorse in the broadcasting uh industry i bought that and i sent it back it, I did side by side tests. In fact, Shannon, I think I actually sent yeah, it was a long time ago. I, right. think I sent you and Matt uh, Vanderlist footage showing the two different like side by sides. It could not even compete. Couldn't come close because I couldn't get the microphone close enough to me and have it like because usually you're you're going to have to have it set either on the camera or on its own stand. That's just more crap to move around. So, I mean, the, right. the, the theme of this is generally speaking, at least it seems like for the three of us, convenience. Trump's, um, I hate to even use that word these days. I know. Isn't that terrible? I <laughs> it feels like, use that word all the time. Yeah, it feels like I'm invoking a political discussion now. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, which I don't mean to do. Um, but yeah, it seems like convenience will always trump the, you know, possibly better video, um, uh, you know, other options that might come along with the DSLR camp. Convenience is going to win. Um, so I would be curious to hear from people who are in the DSLR camp why you're there and why you're staying there. I mean, I, I know if you really dig into it, you can get cooler shots, but is it really worth like what you're getting for that? Is it really worth the extra time and effort? I mean, for us, it's not, but obviously for other people, it just might be. You just can't get around the fact that most of your normal advice you would get on like how to shoot good video doesn't really apply because there's so much more dynamic stuff going on. Um, same thing with the audio, like I love the fact that I can actually turn away from the camera or cross the shop. Like if I'm, you know, uh, okay, oh, I need this chisel. And rather than turning off the camera and going into the chisel, I can just go over and get the chisel and keep talking. And the audio stays constant no matter where I are, whether I'm facing the camera, whether I'm not. Um, And, you know, we're always moving around because we're doing woodworking. Um, I think so much of the the stuff that you see is for that talking head type stuff. And it just just doesn't fly when you're um, building stuff. Yeah. Well, I know a lot of popular YouTubers in, in our arena are using DSLRs. Um, I think Jay Bates, I talked to him at WIA and he does, mm-hmm. and he actually mm-hmm. is one of those that I'm not sure if he changed his setup, but at, at least at some point he was doing the whole audio sync thing with a, a separate uh, audio recorder. <laughs> like, dude, that's nuts. Like, <laughs> Let's, let's fit, let's, uh, I don't know. Let's figure it out. Let's do something I mean, I can't, for as much video as the guy makes. I can't imagine let's spend some money. Yeah. Let's, let's spend some of your money. Come on. Let's talk. Let's go to B and H photo. 
That's what I'm good at doing. Um, uh, yeah. All right. So can we, can we just talk about how when that catalog shows up, I'm almost more excited for B&H photo than I am like the Lee Valley catalog <laughs> or like the Grizzly catalog or yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's the whole thing. We geek out on this stuff as much as, uh, as we do with the woodworking stuff. And and it's, it's just fun. Frankly, it's what makes it what for, for me. And I mean, Shannon, you're, you're not full time, but you may as well be for the amount of time you put into this stuff. It balances it out. You know, I think like almost too much shop time is bad for my brain. Right. And I, I like to balance it out. So when I, and, and going into the, the, you know, editing chair and sitting there and working with footage, it's, it's really hitting two different sides of my brain. At least it feels like, and it helps keep me balanced so that by the time I'm done editing, man, do I want to get back in the shop, you know, but as soon as yeah. I'm done with a project, I just can't wait to get into the footage and start editing it down. So it just kind of, I don't know, keeps me a little bit more balanced. Uh, all right. So as we close out here, I've got a couple of resources. If you guys have any, feel free to throw them in there. But if you're looking to learn about shooting video on camcorders, not DSLRs, uh, a great resource, a good friend of mine, somebody who I've counted on for years. And I can't say that I've actually had any kind of real training on any of this stuff. It's mostly sort of on the job training and watching videos and learning from other people. Um, Izzy Video is really a mm. great resource from day one has always been a great oh, resource Izzy. for me. Uh, Izzy Hyman is, you know, one of the coolest dudes he lives in, I believe he lives in Mesa. Um, but we've actually hung out with him. I know the guy personally, really good dude. He's got a paid version of his content and he does put out some free stuff. Most of the good stuff is paid. You could buy classes on things like how to use final cut and motion. He's very Apple centric, but a lot of his, uh, information on how to shoot good video and three point lighting and just things like that. Um, the guy is just a wealth of knowledge, really good stuff. Um, another one that I found recently when I started to look into the DSLR thing, they're a little more focused on photography and, and DSLR specifically, but I find them very, very interesting to, to watch. The videos are very well produced. They do like three videos a week. It's nuts, but they're very, very polished. And that is uh, Tony and Chelsea Northrup. And I'll put the link to the YouTube channel um, in the show notes for you, but you get, you got to subscribe to them. It's And here's the thing, when you're shooting video with a camcorder, there's still a lot you can learn when you're watching folks use DSLRs because a lot of it is based, you know, it's all photography. So it's all sort of based in the same fundamentals. Uh, and lastly, we mentioned it a couple of times, B&H Photo. If you're looking for equipment, I mean, I usually check on Amazon because if I can get Prime shipping, <laughs> I'd rather do that. <laughs> uh, but a lot of times... Yep. The reviews on B&H Photo are great. I mean, they've got everything. And I usually balance yeah. between Amazon. Yeah, I go be between Amazon and B&H and just kind of read reviews and, and make decisions that way. Uh, so they're a great resource for equipment. So you guys got any other resources? You've either like learning resources or shopping? Yeah. Um, Lynda.com. Um, I became a Lynda member and that taught me how to use like the full Adobe Creative Suite. Mm -hmm. But then I started getting into like the filmmaking tutorials and just learning, you know, all the stuff like, you know, simple stuff like how to white balance and what is proper exposure and how to mess with the f-stops and things to get cool shots. But then a lot of like cinematography type things. When's a good idea to use this type of cut and this type of cut? And what is, you know, how does the angle of the shot lighting, audio, everything? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Lynda.com. Again, it's a it's a it's a paid resource. I don't remember what it is now because I pay annually, but uh, just an enormous library of stuff, every camera tutorial you can think of, every camera shooting technique and all the way into post-production and graphic design and special effects. And yeah, if you want fireballs in your videos, 
lynda.com. I need some fireballs. That's a good point. Yeah, lots of fireballs. Well, actually, yeah, you you bring up a really good point and something that I do whenever I get a new piece of equipment or a new camera is I do seek out the best tutorials I could find and just run through them. Even if I'm not going to use all the features, um, there's almost always a video somewhere teaching you like the menu system and how you adjust white balance and things like that. Um, And lynda.com often has you know, the best stuff where you can actually find out how to use your specific model model of camera that you just purchased. Uh, Matt, how about you? Any resources you rely on? Yeah, get out there and use it. <laughs> trial and error, <laughs> get her done. Yes, I, I'm very much a trial and error learner. So I don't really, I, mean, I guess from from a photography and videography standpoint, I have a background in it. I've done it, done photography for a number of years on a DSLR. So I kind of understand framing shots and mm-hmm. all that fun stuff and exposure and depth of field and all that fun stuff. But really it's just for me, just getting out there and practicing, doing more videos, um, making more things and understanding my own process so that when I sit down in the editing chair, it's not as much work to wade through all my footage or to have a bunch of stuff that just doesn't work. Uh, I see in my head as I'm shooting what the final product is going to be, and it's a little more efficient for me to actually get through the whole shooting process. Right. So in other words, Matt don't need no stinking manual. I don't need no manual. (laughs) (laughs) Who needs that? The manual is what you you rely on after you've, like, gone for two weeks trying to figure something out. And you go, well, maybe I should crack open that manual (laughs) and find out how to do that. It's that point where you're about to throw it across the room. That's when you go for the manual. Having (laughs) having finally met Matt in person at WIA, I think the manual is what he stands on to reach things on high shelves. (laughs) It's true. I have a whole stack of them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that, 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 that would be funny to watch. Good stuff. Oh, bless you, Nicole. All right. Well, I think we could probably close this one off. So obviously, we didn't talk much about woodworking, and uh, that's kind of a lot of what you might be able Mortis to Mortise and expect. tenon, uh, saw, uh, a dovetail joint, uh, PVA glue, high glue, um, there. Flam angle, right? Grain direction. Flam angle. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Next week, we'll be talking about flim Flam angles. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, th- th- I mean, this is, I don't know. I think this is fun. Let us know what you think. If you don't, well, actually, if you don't like it, I don't, don't tell us. Let's just bliss, be blissfully unaware. <laughs> don't even how, bother. How bad this is. Uh, but seriously, Mark, if, listen to you anyway. yeah, if you have ideas for things you'd like us to talk about, I mean, we're all um, into other things and opinion opinionated about other things. Uh, we're more than happy to go into other things like, for instance, our live broadcasting setups. What do we do for that? You know, that might be interesting to talk about going into things about lighting. So, yeah, we've got a lot of the, the video camera related stuff to making content that we're more than happy to talk about but we don't want to focus on that solely so we may go like way off topic with this stuff but i think i don't want to say it's all off topic but we will probably bring it back to woodworking to some extent but i don't want people to be upset when we don't strictly talk about woodworking on this weekend show um so hopefully that's okay if not my apologies uh i think that's about it anything else guys we will close this one off Sounds good. All right. Good show. Um, nothing. Yeah. Happy I, Saturday. Should we do our uh, contact info on the weekend show? It is kind of like a normal show, just no format. Do we have to? Don't leave his voicemails. We'll listen to them on this show. <laughs> yeah, not not on the Saturday show. Uh, all right. Well, let's maybe in the future we'll do contact information. But for now, let's close it off. Thanks for listening, everyone. Hope you have a wonderful weekend, and we will catch you next time. Bye bye. Happy filming, everyone. <laughs> wow. <laughs> What's wrong with that guy? I was supposed to my my creepy Halloween laugh. Yeah, it was. Wow. A couple days late. Terrible.